0: This is the Oncogene Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo.
1: In this edition of the Oncogene Brief, I'm talking with Thurston Sperber. Thurston is the head of global medical affairs at Immunomedics. In this edition, recorded in February 2020, we talk about the company and the company's drug development program. We talk about the potential of a new drug that would change the treatment of patients with metastatic triple-negative breast cancer. Patients with metastatic triple-negative breast cancer that has progressed on a first-line therapy have a poor prognosis with limited therapeutic options. The drug being developed by Immunomedics is called scastuzumab covetican and may change the outlook for these patients. At the time of our interview, the drug was not yet approved. However, in the weeks that followed after our interview, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States has granted accelerated approval for the treatment of adult patients with metastatic triple-negative breast cancer who have received at least two prior therapies for metastatic disease. With this approval, the number of approved and commercially available antibody drug conjugates in the United States is 8. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Oncogene Brief. The Oncogene Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal Oncocene. You can find that at www.oncogene.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. Let's listen to our interview with Thurston Sperber. Let me start with antibody drug conjugates. We, in the introduction, we were referring to the fact that you are, or your company is developing an antibody drug conjugate. Again, there are only a few that are regulatory approved in the United States and are commercially available for uh, to be used with patients. Tell me a little bit more about this concept and, and the kind of drug this represents.
2: So antibody drug conjugates feature a little bit, I, I always compare it to a taxi where the taxi has an excellent designed GPS system, and uh, this GPS system sends the taxi to the tumor, which is the target, and in the trunk, you have a payload, which is a toxic substance that is able to kill tumor cells. So you're using the antibody as a shuttle, and then you have a linker, which in our case is a proprietary linker and has special features that we can discuss later on. And this linker is loaded with a payload, in this case SN38, which is the active form of arena So the antibody itself targets a structure on the tumor cell and delivers it to the tumor very specifically, very distinct, and then releases the payload after it has been internalized and uh, have been subjected to enzymatic cleavage or hydroly- hydrolysis. In this case, in our case, it is a hydrolysis. And then the toxin can uh, effectively work against the tumor cell.
1: So that is a very targeted approach to uh, to cancer. I also understand that in contrast to some of the other companies that are, or, or the drugs that are developed in, in this class of, of uh, antibody drug conjugates, your company is doing something special, which is m- maybe not done by other companies. Tell me a little bit about that platform, about the ADC platform. How How is that different uh, than what others are doing?
2: So we're dealing with a platform technology here that utilizes Two special features, which distinct, which is distinct from the other ADCs out there, we have on one hand the antibody which targets trop-2, and trop-2 is a common antigen on tumor cells, on solid tumor cells uh, across the board, with you know different levels of expression but especially in triple negative breast cancer and urethelial cancer and hr positive uh, breast cancer, there is a high abundance of these molecules on the tumor cells. And TROP2 is a very effective target for our antibody and it targets it. On the other hand, the antibody has eight positions in its structure where we can bind a linker, which is a hydro- hydrolyzable linker to the antibody, which gives you an antibody drug ratio of somewhere around 7.6. You know, biologic systems are never working perfectly well, but uh, a 7.6 is close to that 8 potential uh, maximum that you can load in terms of the linker and the payload to the antibody. On top of that, or in addition to that, SN38 is something which is well-known in the cancer treatment because it is the active form of arenatecan. So SN38, is the, that is the, the actual
1: drug, the cytotoxic
2: it, It's the, the actual drug, exactly. That is loaded onto the linker. So you have the antibody, you have the hydrolyzable linker, you have the payload, which is which is SN38. So that together is sasituzumab govotecan, which is our lead compound in our clinical development program. You know, this hydrolyzable linker combined with a toxin or with a chemotherapeutic agent, the active form of orinotecan, which has a very well-known side effect profile, and it's much easier to manage than the payloads that other ADCs are utilizing, which are super toxic and this is why they also do not have the hydrolyzable linker, but they have a very stable linker because they have to avoid that they release the drug prior to internalization into the tumor cell, which in our case is not the case. We have the ability through the hydrolyzable linker to set part of the, uh, of the payload already free into the tumor environment and kill cells that apparently do not have the abundance of TROP2 antigen on their surface, but still resemble part of the tumor that we are targeting. Yeah, So that, that sets you apart, because my
1: understanding is that if you would use some of the other ADCs that are also very specific to certain targets... Those drugs that are actually attached to those monoclonal antibodies, part of the ADC, they cannot use, be used systemically or given to the patient without any protection. In your case, that is not not the situation.
2: That's correct, absolutely. So uh, you know, we we uh, get along pretty well with uh, you know, let's say minor preparation in terms of uh, pre-medication, where other compounds definitely need that to a, to a larger extent. And also because of the, the known profile that Tcan has, we were in a situation where you're dealing with a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. You know that on one hand, you have hematologic toxicity, and that is something that you need to be aware of. So neutropenia is a common feature of a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. We see that, that as well. However, it is uh, manageable. So neutropenia is is there. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we're not trying to rule out that there is no neutropenia. We have neutropenia, but neutropenia in itself is only a lab value firsthand. And only if that transforms into a febrile neutropenia, then you have a clinical issue. And the rate for febrile neutropenia in our case, in all our clinical development uh, has been very, very low it's in, this, in the low single-digit percentage. That's good news for patients, of course. That is good news for patients. And then another, uh, another feature that Irenotecan has is gastrointestinal uh, toxicity. However, even there, we see, yes, we see diarrhea. We, th- we see, um, you know, features where uh, patients would be subject to lipiramide augmentation to uh, to help them to deal with the diarrhea. But the diarrhea that we see with uh, Cacituzumab is has a much lower impact on the patient and it's also short-lived. So uh, that from all clinical experience that we have in the trials over the last couple of years, we see in our database that you know we have patients that have stayed on drug for two years and longer still with very good quality of life. And that, uh, to me, is the most important thing because having an effective drug on one hand, but on the other hand, also having a manageable side effect profile, which allows patients with good quality of life, um, you know, deal with their, with their cancer treatment and, and fighting their cancer. Let's take a break.
1: And then we're back with our interview with Thurston Sperber. Thurston is the head of global medical affairs at Immunomedics. I'm Peter Hoffland, and this is The Youngest in Brief.
3: Some knowledge belongs to us and us alone. The way our girlfriends walk, the way they talk, the way they touch their hair. We hold details that only a sister can know about her girls. But what about our other girls? The ones that we carry with us every day. Can we describe them when everything's right? Can we feel when something's wrong? Our bond with our sister girls gives life. But knowing your breasts can save it. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health. That's knowyourgirls.org. Brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council.
0: This is the Uncasine Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia
1: Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hoffland and this is the Youngest in Brave. Let's talk a little bit about quality of life, because in many cases, if you look at cancer therapies, and this is not necessarily only with the drug that you you, you develop or your company is developing, but that is often something that is overlooked. I think just recently, the European Union or the, the, the European medical authorities were involved in, 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 in looking at a way to include uh, quality of life as a potential metric, but that has been very difficult. Tell me, tell me a little bit about how important quality of life is for, for example, uh, your company and, and the drugs that you're developing.
2: I think you need to look at that from two different angles. On one hand, you have the situation where you have a curative intent. So let's say we're talking about neoadjuvant breast cancer, where the ultimate goal is to cure the patient so you know, that the patient can live relapse-free after the treatment and after the radiotherapy after the um, the surgery that comes with with the primary treatment in in cases like that, you would be willing to accept a higher toxicity profile in order to accomplish the cure for the patient. The other situation is in the metastatic in the scenery in a metastatic situation you you know that you most likely in a very high percentage of patients, you will not be able to cure them. That being said, you want the control of the cancer as long as possible with whatever you apply, whether it is in hormone receptor positive cancers, the uh, the hormone therapy, or ultimately when things like these fail or you're in the triple negative situation like we are in uh, with, with sastuzumab, govotecan, you want to have a tumor control that allows the patient to live, let's say, a normal course of life with a high level of quality of life and the ability to lead a normal life. So that combination becomes more and more important to the patient the higher the number of prior lines of treatment have been in the course of the individual disease. So that being said, quality of life, especially in the later lines of treatment, become more and more important to the patient and also to the caregiver, because you have a situation where where patients have seen tremendous amounts of chemotherapy. They have um, a a burnout, uh, a bone marrow, so the bone marrow reserve is, is definitely to the minimum. They have seen all sorts of uh, different cytotoxic agents like antracyclines. They may have cardiomyopathy, so a situation where their heart is not necessarily working well anymore, things like that. In this situation, quality of life is one of the most important factors. And this is why regulatory authorities, especially over in Europe, over here, it's It's growing, but um, over in Europe, it has been on the radar screen for a very, very long time. And it also comes more into the focus of the the reimbursement bodies over in Europe, where they say, you know, we are trying to uh, get the best possible option for the patient and not at the cost of quality of life. We want quality of life to be part of the equation, and the better your quality of life is, you better, your tolerability is, you, uh, you will be able to get, let's say, a favorable reimbursement for, for, your, for your drug. So it's a win-win situation for all parties involved. It's not only the payers and the patient, but it's also the companies and, and the regulatory authorities. Now,
1: now, getting to that level of of quality of life, from what you just explained, that's that's that can be not only very important, but it can also be difficult. Your drug that you're developing right now, um, and and may have approval later this year in the United States, is something where you focus on managing that level of disease that makes it possible to to get people to that level of of quality of life. Where they can control the cancer uh, is, that, is that a correct assumption?
2: Well, it is the correct assumption in the current situation where we're looking at patients that have ha- have had seen a number of uh, previous lines of therapy. Reiterating what I've just said, uh, you know, we are in in the late late line of triple negative breast cancer with the current biologic license application. Patients have seen. To at least two, uh, some of them, up to four, five, six lines of previous treatment for their metastatic disease, not counting that they've already also been through uh, a significant treatment burden during their initial treatment for the de novo disease when they were first diagnosed with breast cancer. They have a, an individual history, if you want, uh, with their disease, and they have been living with breast cancer for years. Some of them have had, you know, uh, phases where they were in remission for a long, long period of time, and especially breast cancer can be very, very tricky in terms of relapse. You see relapse patterns in breast cancer that patients who have been disease-free for 15 years all of a sudden come up with a metastatic disease. Uh, And then the course continues, and then, you know, they, they get chemotherapy for the first time, chemotherapy for the second time, and especially in triple negative breast cancer where there is nothing but chemotherapy as of yet. And uh, we are, you know, together with the IO compounds that try to inhabit the space as well, we are uh, in a situation with our ADC that we are kind of the last line of defense for the time being. Let's talk a little bit about
1: triple negative breast cancer because triple negative breast cancer is a notoriously difficult to treat disease. I remember times uh, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago that um, it's um, it was virtually non-treatable with the existing drugs that were on the market at that time. A lot has changed in in how triple negative breast cancer is being treated. A lot of new developments. It seems to be if you, um, I was um, in December at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Conference in San Antonio, Texas. And it seems to me that uh, a lot of companies uh, and a lot of research is actually being done within the treatment of of triple negative breast cancer. But for our audience, can you explain maybe briefly what is triple negative breast cancer and and what makes it so difficult to treat?
2: So triple negative breast cancer is distinct from any other breast cancer in that way that uh, it is lacking three different types of cellular structures on their cellular membrane. And that is, on one hand, they're lacking the estrogen receptor, they are lacking the um, progesterone receptor, and third, they are lacking their so-called HER2 uh, receptor, which is a structure that um, uh, resembles a target for other antibodies that have been very effectively developed against HER2 positive cancer. So, None of these surface structures are present in triple negative breast cancer. So hormone-derived treatments are not an option. That means that for patients who have relapsed after their initial disease treatment in the the first-line setting, uh, and they have their first occurrence in terms of of a metastatic disease, they're left with chemotherapy alone. And that has been the case over the last two, three decades. In this situation, the tumor responds initially uh, to a certain extent to chemotherapy, but these responses are short-lived. There is currently no single-agent chemotherapy out there that produces um, an overall response rate of somewhere around 15 to maximum 20%. So in that case, and then, as I said, remissions are short-lived, and it's, it's a very aggressively growing cancer, and it affects primarily also younger women, which makes it even more difficult. Give you an example, the youngest patient on one of our trials is 24. Can you imagine you develop triple negative breast cancer at the age of 22, then you end up with a metastatic disease at the age of 24? This is a disaster because you virtually have no no option and uh, you know to to uh, to get the patient anywhere longer so we're looking for these options and as you rightly say in in San Antonio there were a couple of new developments which are very encouraging and this is you know we're part of it but we're not the only ones and there's IO out there there you know there's pembrolizumab or atezolizumab who are trying to, you know, uh, populate that space as well as a very effective treatment. There are combination drugs. There is also a lot of biology testing going on to see whether, on top of all the triple negativity, there is, let's say, BRCA BRCA mutations, so germline mutations in the in the BRCA genomic uh, profile, which uh, could even uh, be targeted more efficiently with substances like carboplatin or something like that. So there's a lot of development, both on the treatment and and clinical side, as well as on the biology side.
1: Let's take a break. And then we're back with our interview with Thorsten Sperber.
3: Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit StandUpToCancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together we can stand up for all of us.
0: This is the OnCogene Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo.
1: If you're just joining us, this week we talk with Thurston Sperber. Thurston is the head of global medical affairs at Immunomedics. And in this episode of the Oncocin Brave, we talk about the company and the company's drug development program, which includes antibody drug conjugates, a targeted treatment for patients with cancer. Now, you mentioned in the beginning about the, the description of what triple negative breast cancer is missing, the three major components, or basically the three major targets where you could use to do anything else but chemotherapy. Now, what you've done with, with the drug that you developed, the ADC that you develop, is that you look at a different way to target this, this particular disease. And so the monoclonal antibody is a TROP2 antibody. Tell me a little bit about TROP2 and why it is so effective, or is it a good target in the case of uh, this particular disease?
2: So, so TROP2 uh, is, is, a, is a cellular structure on the, on the uh, cellular membrane of, of, uh, of cells and primarily on tumor cells. You hardly find TROP2 on healthy tissue, which makes it um, almost an ideal target uh, because you can, you can separate the efficacy from the toxicity. So that is, that, is, uh, that is one part. You're not harming or not necessarily harming healthy tissue, but you, your focus is with the, with the targeted ant- antibody against TROP2, your tumor environment and you know the tumor itself because there you have the abundance of trop2 expression trop2 in itself is a glycoprotein um, on the on the cell surface in those tumors and apparently what it what it comes with is if a tumor expresses trop2 it also means that the tumor is more aggressive it's more potent to grow and for the patient itself uh, or himself, the trop two expression would mean that his tumor prognosis, or le- let's say his survival or or um, uh, progression free survival prognosis is lower than in tumors that do not uh, express trop two so it's a it's a negative prognostic marker, but for us it is almost an ideal target because it allows us, especially in triple negative breast cancer to target a tumor which otherwise has no target for one of the uh, available targeted therapies like, uh, you know, against HER2, uh, which you would have in, in HER2 positive breast cancer. So, so this is this is something which makes TROP2 the unique target, not only in triple negative breast cancer, but first and foremost, definitely there because the expression rate off trop two and triple negative is is uh, above 90%, and uh, so it, it it's almost that ideal target to uh, to address an effective monoclonal antibody-driven uh, ADC uh, treatment to uh, to triple negative breast cancer.
1: Now, um, we were talking about triple negative breast cancer and it, it, of course, a notoriously difficult disease where this may be a good uh, opportunity to, to uh, treatment modality in that respect. But you are also developing the same drug for different forms of cancer. Tell me a little bit about that and, and, and how important is that, uh, that these other diseases may also be be targeted?
2: Yes, yeah, so we our clinical development program with respect to sasotuzumab TCAN currently looks into, as you rightly already mentioned, the triple negative breast cancer. Then we have data from our mu 13201 trial in um, estrogen and and um, and progesterone uh, receptor positive in HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer. Also in you know heavily pretreated patients, it's a smaller group that we're currently uh, looking into in the trial, 54 patients uh, with uh, hormone receptor positive or HER2 negative breast cancer were treated, but we see more or less similar results as we have seen with triple negative breast cancer. So the overall response rate was also in the range of uh, 30 plus percent. And the uh, median progression-free survival was in the range of uh, almost 7%, 6.8%. And at the time of of analysis, uh, the median overall survival was not even reached. We also have, outside of breast cancer, we have very good data and promising data in metastatic urothelial cancer. Also from the same trial, which was a basket trial, overall response rate, again, in the range of 30%. Progression-free survival of 7.3% and, uh, and median overall survival of 16.3%, which is which is kind of pretty amazing in in that heavily pretreated uh, group of patients. And we just recently at ASMO last year, which is one of the European major conferences in in oncology, we had a late-breaker for our follow-up trial in uh, urothelial cancer, which is the Trophy U1 trial where we could basically confirm the response rate that we've seen in the O1 trial in the in the in the previous analysis. Moreover, we are also looking into uh, non-small cell lung cancer, we're looking into head and neck cancer, uh, we're looking into endometrial cancer, cervical cancer, and prostate cancer, uh, just to name a few few others. We have a number of collaboration that we have started just over the last 12 to 15 months with different institutions and academic groups where we're looking into broadening our data generation platform in all these type of cancers.
1: Now, all these type of cancers, they have, when you use this particular drug, they have a TROP2 as, as a, a target?
2: Correct. As I mentioned very early on in our uh, in our interview, trop2 is a common feature of solid tumors as a whole, with different levels of expression, um, and that may range from, you know, an, an expression level of around 50%, and that goes up to um, 80, 90% in in tumors like urothelial and triple negative. However, the uh, expression rate doesn't uh, necessarily tell the whole story we're talking about a couple of thousand molecules per per tumor cell surface meaning that in a situation where you have only 50% uh, expression rate of the maximum 100 that would be uh, deemed the highest then uh, you still have a, a significant amount of trop 2 molecules that can be addressed moreover if you're rate of cancer cells in a particular tumor that expresses TROP2 is lower than expected. This is where our bystander effect, so the early release prior to binding uh, to the cell surface, the early release of SN38 can address exactly that problem because uh, the free SN38 then goes into adjacent tumor cells that may, may or may not uh, express TROP 2 to a much lower level, but we can still, uh, through that bystander effect, effectively kill those tumor cells as well.
1: Now, this is the drug that you develop is f- f- focusing on solid tumors. Um, uh, now, if you look at the whole spectrum of ADCs, um, the majority of ADCs or a great part of the ADCs that are currently approved or have been uh, successfully or not successfully in some cases been uh, been tra- tested or trialed or studied in, in other forms of cancer are focusing on hematological cancers, uh, which seems to be a little bit easier to deal with liquid, liquid cancers in that respect. So tell me a little bit about the complexity that uh, why is it more difficult, for example, to treat cancers in this particular case, but this, these kind of drugs, uh, solid tumors versus um, hematological cancers, for example?
2: So you, you need to go back to a little bit of tumor biology, and I'm trying to keep it as, as uh, plastic as, as possible. When a tumor is connected to the, uh, the blood vessels through what is called angiogenesis, then the tumor tries to supplement itself with nutrients uh, that are floating in the serum of of the bloodstream. To grow internally or to grow as a tumor, this vascularization process needs to be driven by this uh, angiogenesis and you know, in order to reach the tumor effectively, you need some kind of a reasonable vascularization of the tumor itself, whether it is the the primary tumor or the metastasis. That not necessarily doesn't matter. Once the tumor has reached a certain size, you are trapped in, as a tumor, you're trapped in a situation where where you're lacking nutrients. So once you have a vascularized tumor, then you can send something there, which in our case is the ADC because the ADC is basically an antibody and the antibody is free floating in the serum. So you need that vascularization to address the tumor. If you have an insufficient vascularization, anything that you're throwing at the the tumor, whether it is normal chemotherapy, whether it is a normal monoclonal antibody, whether it is a CDK4-6 inhibitor, you name it, everything that is transported uh, via the bloodstream will not create a sufficient tumor killing if you have a weak vascularization of the tumor. That is a completely different story when you're in uh, the hematologic environment because there Underlying tumor tissue is what also resembles your transporting uh, mechanism, or your transporting system. It is the bloodstream. It is the bone marrow. So you don't have to rely on this this, this weak or not existing vascularization, which comes with the t- tumor biology of, of of solid tumors. That's a much easier approach. And, you know, in my previous life, uh, way back when I was um, responsible for introducing um, a antibody drug conjugate, which was not carrying a drug, but an isotope in order to fight uh, a certain type of lymphoma that made it very easy. And it was a very effective treatment because it was a systemic disease. We are talking here with uh, sasituzumab, govitecan and other ADCs that are targeting um, the um, the, uh, the solid tumors we're talking about fighting not only a tumor but also fighting the let's say logistical features of a solid tumor environment.
1: yeah this like that I mean, it makes a lot of sense to to understand that difference between solid tumors and 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 hematological cancers in that respect and why it is so much easier to to uh, to treat a hematological malignancies in that respect. Let's take a break. and then we're back with our interview with Thurston Sperber. Thurston is the head of global medical affairs at Immunomedics. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brave.
0: This is the Oncogene Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo.
1: If you're just joining us, this week we talk with Thurston Sperber. Thurston is the head of global medical affairs at Immunomedics. And in this episode of the Oncogene Brief, we talk about the company and the company's drug development program, which includes antibody drug conjugates, a targeted treatment for patients with cancer. We are almost to the end of our show today. Just a couple of more questions. If you if you look and and maybe this is playing a little bit of devil's advocate, I, I'm not sure. But if you if you look at the the whole development scheme in terms of of ADCs, but also other forms of cancer, the active compound SN38 is which is included in in, in your ADC has also been used in a lot of different drugs, different situations. For example, there are, uh, I think, uh, developments in in, in nanotechnology, uh, in, in nanodrugs in that respect that are actually upcoming and, and developed. What makes your drug in that respect uh, unique or better than, for example, some of the, the other developments in that respect?
2: Well, I guess, uh, well, first of all, it's a smart question, <laughs> but I guess the best answer to that is that it is not only SN38 but it is the whole structure of sasituzumab govitecan using on one hand a known drug which a very well with a very well defined safety profile so SN38 as the active component uh, or the active active metabolite of irinotecan, uh, which has been used in a number of cancers over the last two decades, you know, in um, metastatic colorectal cancer, in, uh, in mm-hmm. uh, hepatocellular cancer and others. So shown that it is a very active drug, but systemically given with the challenge of a pretty nasty side effect profile. And our goal was, First of all, to use the active metabolite and get rid of those metabolites that create potential side effects, link it via a very controlled mechanism of our proprietary hydrolyzable linker, and together with an antibody that targets a structure which is very selectively prominent only on tumor cells rather than on healthy tissue. Whether you're referring to irinotecan uh, in form of uh, padulated or in nanospheres or, or whatever is out there, that is still chemotherapy. This is that is still a drug which will float around in the body for hours and days and affecting tissues where it shouldn't go to. So with our with our approach of the trop2 directed antibody we make it very specific um, very targeted with a manageable uh, safety profile using SN38 in a way that avoids uh, the uh, the metabolites that come with the normal irinotecan
1: so this it, it is the combination in which you have very strong targetability to really sort out the cancer or the ten- cancer environment that makes this drug um, a a unique uh, candidate in 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 novel anti-cancer drugs.
2: Absolutely. That is what we think. I mean, other people may think different, uh, but this is our conviction that we are there on the right track, and the the current you know clinical landscape for our drug, we consider that, that together with a lot of KOLs out there, um, as very promising, very encouraging. Since it is not the only ADC that we're working on, we have others that uh, that target other structures. We're convinced that this combination of the hydrolyzable linker, which definitely makes the difference, and the the, the use of SN38 as the payload of choice, a very manageable, very effective, and also um, very efficacious treatment. So later
1: this year, I mean, you have, uh, I mean, early this year, or actually late December, the drug went for an approval to the FDA, the the American U.S. um, federal authorities to to look at or approve drugs. Now, what does that mean in in the uh, later this year issue drug expected to be Uh, potentially after FDA approval, on the market this year? Is that some of the expectations that you may have?
2: Well, our expectation is that um, hopefully our submission that we did on December 2nd, 2019, convinces with all available data, both on the safety side as on the efficacy side, and of course also on the manufacturing side, the expectations of the FDA and that we can Convince uh, the regulators that this drug is ready for approval sometime, um, hopefully, uh, mid this year. It's speculation. Um, I always say in front of the regulators and um, out at sea, uh, you're in God's hands. Uh, it's, It's definitely complete speculation when this will be the case. But we're confident that um, our drug um, will pass that finishing line and uh, get approved sometime this year. Well, that's
1: that's definitely good news. Now, uh, a final question. You also mentioned about the fact that some of this is still in ongoing clinical trials. Clinical trials are important for people to to, to look at, to participate. Um, it's very difficult sometimes to get the right candidates uh, for, for, for clinical trials. So if there are physicians out there, if there are doctors out there that listen to the program and say, well, I might have a candidate for this, um, or if there are patients out there that say, well, I, would, I wouldn't mind participating in a clinical trial if that's actually something that my physician recommends me to do. Where can they find more information about both the drug that uh, is now in in FDA hands, but also uh, other potential drugs?
2: So, on one hand, um, the best way to to look at um, the clinical landscape in terms of open trials, uh, not necessarily only our clinical development trials, but also uh, so-called investigator-initiated trials that have an academic background, from any institution over in Europe or here in the U.S., you can refer to clinicaltrials.gov, which is the official website where you would find all information regarding a um, drug under clinical development. Simply put in sunituzumab and um, the, um, the the results uh, search will give you an overview on all open trials that uh, are available. And it will also normally give you at least the central contact uh, for uh, the the principal investigator and the sponsor. In some cases, in some trials, you will also find a list of participating sites that you can contact that.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It was a a delightful interview.
2: Thank you so much and and also for the opportunity to uh, discuss that with you.
1: In today's edition of the Oncogene Brief, I spoke with Thurston Sperber, head of global medical affairs at Immunomedics. For more information about the company, visit the company's website at immunomedics.com. For us here at the Oncogene Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers, for your ongoing support. For more information about supporting the Oncogene Brief, check our online journal Oncogene at www.oncogene.com. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology, text the word CANCER, C-A-N-C-E-R, to 66866. Thank you all, and thank you for listening, and join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hoffland and this is The in Brief.
0: The Oncazine Brief was produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofflin, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949 923 1660 or visit our website at oncazine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.